As Pastor Bobby mentioned, uh, guys especially, uh, if you're able to, just for hopefully 15 to 20 minutes, depending on questions, stay after the service. Uh, would love to talk with you, give you information about the Malaga uh, trip. We're um, just looking forward to a different type of trip, going and uh, doing physical labor uh, in uh, Malaga for God's kingdom and for the ministry there. And so we pray if uh, that's something you like doing, working with your hands, uh, feel enjoyment with that. You like that. Uh, you also might like to eat good food. Uh, I think Spain has good food. That's what my wife told me when they went to Barcelona this last summer. And uh, so you like good food and you like hard work, then uh, come and listen. And if you want to just pray better for a team that'll go, uh, then come and also learn more about what the triple entails so you know how better to pray uh, or to support those who do go. Well, would you join me this morning uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are the foundation and fountain of all being and all beauty. From you, all is perfectly derived. Upon you, all is most absolutely and perfectly dependent. From you and through you and to you is all being and all perfection. Your being and beauty is, as it were, the sum and comprehension of all existence and excellence. Much more than the sun is the fountain and summary comprehension of all light and brightness of the day. To you, O God, be all praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength forever and ever. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, we pray that what we know not, you would teach us. What we have not, you would give us. What we are not, you make us for the sake of your Son, our Savior. Give us this day our daily bread. Thank you for a successful procedure for our brother Del Knudsen this past week. Please grant healing to Carl and Janice's granddaughter, Lily. Please allow the ladies who are in Cannon Beach for a women's retreat to be stirred to greater affections for you and for your word after being sitting under your word this weekend. Grant boldness and compassion to Christians in Ellensburg to pray with 40 days for life. And please bring an end to abortion in our city by this local abortion clinic being shut down. We pray for brothers and sisters at Chestnut Street Baptist Church this morning. We lift up Pastor Frank Johnson uh, and the leadership there. We ask that you would uh, continue to be with them and a fellow church venture, Northwest Church in Walla Walla Mission Church, and their pastor, Brian Hope. Father, the kingdom of God is far bigger than Liberty Bible Church, and it is with joy that we can pray for other churches. We ask your richest blessing on them, on these pastors, especially this morning, that they would be encouraged and built up, that as we think of how to care for shepherds, that these men are strengthened and encouraged that the weight of uh, what they bear, that Father, they would be bringing that to you as you call them to come to you all who are weary and heavy laden. And Father, we ask that they would take their hearts and these uh, sadnesses and difficulties to you. Lift up Brian Hope and his family. Be with Pastor Frank and his wife Jeannie and their kids and grandkids. Continue to encourage him and bring about continued gospel faithfulness that they would run their race well. 
Be with Devin and Nicole McCallow, who serve with FCA, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Wenatchee. We pray that you would continue to bless them as well. Uh, Be with Devin physically and continue to grant them much grace and care. Continue to help them to know how to rest well uh, in Christ and rest well physically. Please be with the brothers and sisters, Christians in Yemen, who are being persecuted for their faith. Father, would you provide for them ones who have been displaced due to conflict and famine? And Father, as we go to your word, grant that our hearts, freed from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word, and with all diligence and faith, so that we might rightly discern your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness, to your praise and honor through our Lord Jesus Christ. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Cleanse us from our secret faults, O Lord. Forgive those offenses which we have caused in others. We contend not in judgment with you who are the truth. We fear to deceive ourselves, lest our sin make us think we are not sinful. Therefore, we contend not in judgment with you. For if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could abide it? but we taste and have seen that you are good. And you say, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and turn this morning to Philippians chapter 2. This morning we'll be in verses 19 through 24. Philippians chapter 2. If you are unfamiliar with where it's at, just think of the acronym Girls Eat Potato Chips, G-E-P-C, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Sometimes those four books run together in just a few pages, so Girls Eat Potato, we're on potato, potato chips. Chapter 2, and beginning of verse 19. When you're there, if you would stand in the honor of reading God's word this morning, Galatians Galatians. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 19. All right. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. I made it through that time. On April 26, 1986... At the Chernobyl nuclear power plant near the city of Pripyat in Ukraine, a late-night safety test went wrong, and the world experienced the worst nuclear accident of all time. Dozens of people were killed in the immediate aftermath and thousands more in the ensuing years. The disaster released 400 times more radiation into the atmosphere than the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima contaminated millions of acres of surrounding land. 
Few people realize that the scale of destruction could have been far worse if it weren't for the bravery of three volunteers. On May the 4th, 1986, just a few days after the initial disaster, mechanical engineer Alexei Anonenko, senior engineer Valery Bespilov, and shift supervisor Boris Baranov stepped forward to undertake a mission that many considered to be suicide. They were advised that if they did not survive, their families would be taken care of, and the outcome of their mission would change, would decide the fate of millions of people, and its importance was unparalleled in its magnitude. On the day of the disaster, in an effort to control the blazing fire, firefighters pumped water into the nuclear reactor. One of the side effects was that it flooded the basement with radioactive water. This basement contained the valves that when turned would drain the bubbler pools that sat beneath the reactor and which acted as a coolant for the plant. Well, within a few days, it was discovered that molten nuclear material was melting through the concrete reactor floor, making its way slowly down toward the pools below. If that lava-like substance made contact with the water, it would cause a radiation-contaminated steam explosion that would destroy the entire plant along with three other reactors, causing unimaginable damage. Nuclear fallout the world would struggle to recover from. The pools contained some 20 million liters of water, and it had to be drained. And the only way to do it was by manually turning the correct valves down in the now flooded basement. So enter our three heroes. If the three courageous men were not successful in their mission, the Chernobyl death toll was likely to reach the millions. One physicist declared that the blast would have had the force of three to five megatons, leaving much of Europe uninhabitable for hundreds or thousands of years. The men entered the basement in wetsuits, radioactive water up to their knees, in a corridor stuffed with a myriad of pipes and valves. It was like finding a needle in a haystack. Yet they found that needle before the molten reactor core above them had melted its way down through the ceiling. And a sigh of relief, probably just like you did, was breathed all around. The Chernobyl Three exhibited an incredible level of bravery on that fateful day in May 1986. They knew exactly the risks involved and were prepared to give up everything in order to save the lives of an incomprehensible number of people. Selfless. One biographer found in his research of those events that one of those men lived until 2005, and at the time of his writing in 2015, the other two were still alive. Their people needed help. Europe needed their help. And they were willing to do the job not knowing the full ramifications to themselves or to their families. At the time, some might have thought that they were crazy or very brave. But today, we see three men who selflessly served others. And this is where we are in Philippians chapter 2. Paul is used to making trips around the region, planting churches, and then going back and years later checking in on them. Well, as we know from the beginning of this book, this letter of Philippians, Paul's in prison in Rome, hundreds of miles away from Philippi, unable to go see the Philippians. So in writing a letter to them, he states that he is eager to send someone else, his apprentice. Timothy, to see the church and to care for them. It is in this section of verses that we see more of the caring heart of Paul for his people. 
and that Timothy has shown, has proved to have shown for others. So if you're taking notes this morning, two points. One, Paul wants to send Timothy to the church out of genuine concern for them. Paul's genuinely concerned, and he wants to send Timothy to them. Okay, that's one. He wants to send Timothy to the church out of genuine concern for them. And two, Paul wants to send Timothy to the church because Timothy is the best man for the job. Two things. When we begin to look at what it means to selflessly care for other people, one, Paul exhibits genuine concern for the church. And two, he sends the best person fitted for the job. So let's look at the first one, genuine concern for the church. Paul, as he writes, beginning of verse 19, speaks of his hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to them soon. Some of these words are repeated again in verse 23. He hopes and to send Timothy soon. There's an eagerness. There's a desire to do this right away. He hopes in the Lord. He's, Paul is exhibiting a shepherd's heart for this church and sending Timothy and being eager to hear how the church is doing. If Paul's in prison, can, cannot go to the church himself, he will send Timothy to them to hear, to report back, and maybe to be able to care for them while he's there. Now, Timothy is not an unknown entity to the church. If you go back to the planting of the church in Philippi in Acts chapter 16, you see that Timothy was a part of the gaggle of guys, Paul and Silas, who were going around and beginning to meet with believers, giving the gospel to people who didn't know Jesus yet, but a beginning part of this planting of the church in Philippi, and Timothy is with Paul and Silas at that time. But now, it's a decade later. Timothy is 10 years older or so, and the church, at hearing Timothy's name, might be remembering a pimple-faced boy, a teenager, instead of a man. Paul before had a helper, a young apprentice, a Padawan named Timothy. But now Timothy has shown Paul, at least for a decade or more, this ability to care for the church of God, to preach, to teach, to help in greater ways, no doubt, as Paul will mention in other letters. Paul is with Timothy, or Timothy is with Paul in Acts chapter 16, but we see only Paul and Silas are imprisoned when they go to Philippi. But Timothy is still with them when they go to Berea in Acts chapter 17. So most likely, we surmise that Timothy has been with them the whole time. And it might be that Timothy is so young at the time where Paul and Silas are imprisoned that he's not taken in with them. He's not beaten in Philippi, put in prison, locked in the stocks, not considered an adult at the time. And Paul knows the church might be let down if they knew that Timothy was coming, not Paul. They would want Paul to come. Paul, the one who planted the church, the apostle Paul, to come and to visit them and to care for them again. They could be disappointed that he's sending the apprentice, the young guy, as I was called when I first pastored a church, the young kid, the pastor who's just learning, and we're going to bring him along, just the young guy, not an experienced shepherd. They could be let down, and Paul might be aware of that, and so as he knows Timothy might be being compared to himself, he wants to let them know that he is sending Timothy out of not just here's the only guy I've got, but out of genuine concern for their souls. 
out of genuine care for them and for Timothy. Because as Paul writes to the church in Philippi and says that Timothy is coming, and the way in which he commends the work of Timothy, he serves Timothy well too, doesn't he? He serves the church well by writing and saying that while he desperately wants to come and see them, that they should be glad to receive Timothy. Timothy has proven himself over the last decade. Timothy is not the same kid that he was when he left. Timothy has shown himself to be a true shepherd, one who will care for them well. The letter serves to also let them know how to expect Timothy, make preparations for him, know he's coming highly recommended and respected by Paul. And Paul says that he hopes in the Lord Jesus, hopes that God will allow Timothy to go, allow Paul to send him, and provide for both of their needs in Timothy's absence from Paul and in the long journey that goes from Rome to Philippi. You think of Paul's heart for the church in Philippi, just in sending someone to them, but also in sending someone like Timothy, his wingman, a sacrifice on Paul's part. As Paul's in prison, you imagine his relational ability to just go out and mingle among the crowds has been all of a sudden greatly diminished. His ability to go out and win friends and influence people, he's limited on those relationships. And to send out one that is dear to him, like Timothy, is a great sacrifice. A sacrifice of time, a great sacrifice of money, as a trip of that journey would cost quite a bit. A sacrifice of relationship. It is over 800 miles from Rome to Philippi. And at least one ferry or boat trip would be required to make the trip. Now we know in those days, you can't take a four and a half hour flight and be there in no time. And so you imagine at least 40 to 50 days, possibly, to be able to make a trip like that if you're making good time. It was a sacrifice. But Paul, and what we've seen consistent throughout the letter, is his deep sympathy for the church, his care for them. His care is seen in selfless sacrifice for others to serve the church, not ultimately to serve himself. Paul is in prison, and instead of only seeing how God can have his needs met, God, don't you see, I'm in a worse plight than the Philippians are. I need Timothy to stay. I need more. I need more food. I need more things to me because I'm in a bad situation. Instead of doing that, Paul selflessly looks at the church And most likely, we'll find this out next week, because of the story of Epaphroditus, who comes and shares with them how the church is doing, most likely knows there's a need for someone to go and help them. There's a letter that needs to come from Paul, but there's also people who need to go to shepherd and help care for the body, because some things are happening. There's the beginning seeds of disunity, or maybe it's more than that, but there's also the, the What's coming is there's heresy or those false teachers, and Paul wants to warn the church of them. But Paul has a concern for others, genuine concern for the church. Selflessly serving others requires a genuine concern for them. And Paul exhibits this type of concern for the Philippian believers, and he does so because the gospel has transformed him. The gospel has transformed everything, and Paul sees this in the way that he has been shown genuine and eternal concern by Jesus Christ. The gospel has so transformed Paul, even in his relationships, that his deep concern for the church moves him to joyfully 
eagerly. I hope to do so soon. And he repeats it. As though he really means it. And sacrificially to send Timothy to them. What great love the Father has shown to us. And what great love here Paul exhibits. The love that he has received, he now turns and shares with others that they might see the deep concern, the selfless serving that has been shown to Paul is now being shown and evidenced to them. Paul desires by sending Timothy not only to care well for them, that he might hear news of them, but also he says that I might be cheered by news of you. I don't want to just hear news, but I want to be settled. I want to be heartened. The word there that is cheered can actually be defined, given the definition of released from anxiety. Well, that puts a different spin on the word than just cheered. But that's what it means, right? You hear good news from someone. Uh, A family member made it safe to a destination. You're released from anxiety somewhat. Moms especially, right? As you hear your child made it safely to work or home or across the country. Paul's worried about the church and wants to be put at ease. And as one who genuinely cares for them, he has heard that there are things that are happening and he is anxious about their spiritual, relational state. How is that church doing? There is anxiety as one who planted the church and still cares for this church, even though he isn't with them all the time. And being in prison, he's not anxious about his imprisonment, but genuinely worried. His heart is anxious for these other believers. He has a genuine concern for them. Paul says this also to a church in a different letter. In the letter of 1 Corinthians that he writes to the church in Corinth, he acknowledges anxiety and how prevalent the idea of anxiety can be even in just one relationship, and that is the marriage relationship, let alone in other areas of life. Paul writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. The married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. But lots of anxieties. And I want you to be free from that. But notice how many times the word anxious or anxiety was in just those three verses. Several times. So Paul goes to hoping in the Lord. Hoping in the Lord to sacrifice by sending Timothy to fight his anxiety about the church in Philippi. Not grumbling or worrying like last week, we looked at the verses before this, but trusting God to ease his anxious heart over genuine concern that he has for the Philippians when he physically can do nothing about it. He can't leave prison on his own. He is otherwise preoccupied and unable to travel freely at this moment. Paul writes in chapter four of Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but prayerful in everything. That's a summary, but be anxious for nothing. And the rest of the verse goes on to speak of our relationship with God in prayer. The one who is prayerful about everything will not be anxious about everything. Not only is Paul genuinely concerned for the Christians at Philippi, expressed in the way that he sends Timothy, wants to send him very soon. Also, his genuine concern is seen in his own anxiousness for them, like a mother with their children. But he's also wanting to send Timothy to them because... 
Timothy, frankly, is the best man for the job. He's the best man that Paul has. He says there is no one like him. No one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. His genuine concern for the church sends him to then ship off Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned already for them. And will express that there's no one like him. Timothy isn't just going to be a role filler or a warm body on the bench. Timothy is the best. Notice that Paul doesn't say that he's going to send himself, who is the best one who can care for them. But Timothy, there's no one like Timothy. He doesn't say there's no one like, like second to me. Uh, I'm the best that could come and be with you, but since I can't come, <laughs> I'll send someone else. He doesn't say that. There's no one like Timothy. Paul doesn't sound or does not send a potential best, but he sends the best that he has. He doesn't say, Timothy's showing some promise here. I think he's going to do pretty good for you. I'm pretty confident that when he gets there, he's going to be pretty, he's going to care. Yeah, yeah, I think he's going to show some real care for you. I think you're going to appreciate some of the things he does. Might be some rough edges. Just, you know, get used. He's young, he's young, so just give him a chance. But I think Timothy's going to do some good things for you. He doesn't say that. But look at the commendations that he gives about Timothy. There is no one like him, genuinely concerned for your welfare. You know Timothy's, verse 22, you know his proven worth. He has served me in the gospel. Paul's eager to send Timothy because of his heart for the church, but also because Timothy is the right person for it. This is illustrative for us in the church. Who, Who do we send? When we ever we think about sending, we automatically think about missions. Who is it that we are sending to the mission field? Who are we sending off as a church to Bible college or seminary? I was in a class last January and had a seminary professor really chide on us pastors. And he said, you pastors are unwilling to say no to someone. You will send out anybody and there's nobody saying, you know what? I don't think you're quite ready yet. I don't think spiritually you are where you need to be to be preparing for ministry. And he said, you send them to us in the seminary to say no, to do your dirty work. And he said, but what happens is they pass. And when they pass, then all of a sudden they go somewhere and they get ordained. And then they're ordained and now they're serving. And now they're in a place where you would have said, no way, no how. Now, God in his transforming work can obviously do an incredible thing throughout that person's education and churches and discipling this person. But he's also saying, churches, you need to take an active role of being honest with one another that says, we have a genuine concern for you, that there are some things you are struggling with, and we're seeing that. And as we walk together, as Pastor Bobby was saying, in this discipleship relationship, there's some things you need to be working on, and me too, and let's help one another. Let's grow, not be content with stagnation, but let's continue to grow in our sanctification with Christ. And let's continue to see what God might do. Because remember, 10 years ago, Timothy wasn't gonna be prepared and he wasn't able and ready to go and serve the church in Philippi. He stayed with Paul. But now the church has progressed and the church has grown maybe, but 10 years later, who's Paul sending? He's sending Timothy, who now for 10 years, he's seen his proven worth. Who are we sending? Who are we saying you should go and shepherd the flock of God? Who are we saying to a local church, yes, this person will genuinely care for you and serve you well in the gospel? Who are we saying 
this nation, this project overseas, this person, this couple will genuinely be concerned and care for you, shepherd you well, do the work that God has called them to do, and will do it well because they've been tested and proven. May it never be that someone says, I feel called to the mission field, and we just bless them and send them. But we evaluate, we equip, we pray, and we make sure that this is uh, discerning the will of the Lord alongside of them. They want to be affirmed. They want to be sent out. Nobody wants the rubber stamp. And so being able to help send quality people who are uh, growing in Christ, the same is true in every area of the church as well. It's not just for those who go out and serve as missionaries or pastors or in some sort of vocational ministry where their full-time check comes from a church or anything like that. But where are you in your relationship with the Lord? Is it at a place where it's stagnated for quite a while? You don't remember doing anything that's really bringing you life and joy in your relationship with Jesus on a daily basis. There's no repentance, no feeling like I need to repent. I'm just kind of in a place where I've been for a while and I just don't feel the need. I don't feel like I'm doing anything really bad, but I also know that I'm not really growing. Being able to say, God, I want to continue to grow I want to continue to uh, be put into a place where you have been preparing me for, that I might be able to serve in a way that 10 years ago I wouldn't have been. But because, God, in your faithfulness and in your equipping me and through discipleship by your Holy Spirit, I'm in a place where now I'm able to serve in a place I couldn't have otherwise, either in the home with your children, able to teach and instruct them in a way that you wouldn't have been 10 years ago, or in the church, in a life group, in your business, in your other neighborhood or other locations where you have an opportunity for influence over others. May we send those and prepare those well to serve Christ and his church well. Don't simply delegate. I have to remember this. Don't simply delegate to get a task off my plate, but be sincerely concerned for others. Sending someone because they are the best person for the job. What about you? Maybe in 10 years, you are doing and serving in a place that you never thought possible on this day. What if in 10 years, you are the one this church is sending out to plant another local church, to serve here as an elder or a deacon, or to be someone who has been trained in biblical counseling or discipling others? Maybe you're sent overseas to translate the Bible be a stay-at-home mom or a businessman who is the best at leading Bible studies or helping to serve widows and children in the church. I could never do that, you say. Well, Timothy did. Paul saw it. Paul affirmed him, blessed him, and then Paul said to him 10 years later, you are the best that I have to send out to Philippi. And I'm gonna send you into the church. I'm letting you know that what I'm sending you is someone who will genuinely be concerned for you. Don't expect today what God may take 10 years to craft in you and to prepare you for. But church, don't rush the process either by trying to elevate potential above where it's at. Be patient to wait. Be patient to grow slowly for you and for others. We certainly don't want to put an elder or a deacon or a ministry leader or someone into an office or position where they're not already doing the work and we can affirm it and see it, just like Paul did with Timothy. 
but we want to be able to recognize when we see someone doing it, someone serving well in an area of ministry, say that person's doing the work of a deacon, a guy who is shepherding well. This guy's already shepherding the body, caring for the flock, discerning sound doctrine, is able to teach. This guy's already doing the work of an elder. So prepare now for what God might want you to be doing for his glory and to genuinely meet the needs of others in the next five, 10, 15 years. Your pastors and elders and the church will rejoice as Paul gives the example here to deploy those who are good, who are the best, those who are faithful, those who have worked hard, those who have shown their proven worth. Use whatever adjectival phrase you'd like in the work of the church and for the good of others. His genuine concern for this church is that he sends them someone who will be genuinely concerned for them. Now, can you imagine being the church receiving that letter? So thankful. Paul didn't send just a, well, he's from the farm team, and uh, we're hoping, there's really, there's really good potential. But he sends his best. Timothy will be genuinely concerned for the Philippians' welfare. And that's what's known about him. That's what he says. He's shown his proven worth. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Timothy will be genuinely concerned for their welfare, not his own. How do we selflessly serve others? We stop spending all of our time, all of our money, all of our resources on ourselves. But instead, we turn, and just like the gospel, we remember Jesus the one who came to earth for those who were his enemies, knowing he would suffer and die, and he did all to seek and to save the lost. He came with no other agenda. It wasn't for the food or the fellowship. He didn't have a burning desire to see what it was like to be beaten or to have heartburn or to get blisters on his hands. But notice the phrases in Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All of it done for us. He came for others. He came for the glory of his father and the redemption of their people. And we often are only willing to give others what is left, if anything at all. Let me see what the rest of my day looks like first. I'll get back to you if I can. I'll squeeze you in if I have a moment. I do the same thing. And they say you should build margin into your life for rest and play so you don't get burned out. But what if in our genuine concern for others, to live selflessly, to serve others selflessly, we intentionally build margin into our days or weeks for others Well, obviously, we're not mentioning here our time that we spend with the Lord, but that, if it's not being done, should be. So building margin to spend time with God should be the first step. And then to be able to say, God, I want to serve selflessly, serve others. And sometimes that takes sacrifice. But today, I want to spend some time selflessly serving my spouse or one of my children, especially today. But being intentional to set aside time to not spend just on ourselves, being able to shop on our phone or look up the next latest, greatest thing or do more work at night, but taking some time and maybe it's not an hour and maybe you build up to that, but whatever it might be, 
to selflessly serve others, to give one hour to someone else, to do with them what you know they would like or help them with something that they need. Listen to them, uninterrupted. Sit with them over coffee, not to talk about yourself, but to hear them. Fixing something in their car that you know how to do that they need help. Taking a walk with them. Being able to say to this person, I have a genuine concern for you. I want to sacrificially serve you, selflessly give of my time, my money, my words, my prayers, that you might be continually, continually encouraged and built up in the Lord. And our relationship would continue to flourish. The reality is that God has done exactly those things for us. He came for us. He gave all for us. May we in God's kindness, because the gospel transforms our relationship, our time, our view of how we look at our day. May we continue to desire to selflessly serve other people for the glory of God and for their joy to be found in Jesus. Paul is showing that he has evident, evidenced experience working with Timothy. He has seen him working in the gospel. And so he knows he will continue to work the gospel in the lives of the church. Paul's desire is to come as soon as he can himself. He says, I'll see how it goes with me. Well, this might remind us of chapter 1 and verses 20 or 21 or so, where he speaks about this desire to go and to be with Christ, to die in prison. But he knows that's more needful and necessary to stay and to minister to the church. But he says, I don't know what's going to happen. And the reality is, neither do we. So ultimately, we trust in the Lord that we have desires to do these things. But if God tarries and he gives us another day, then we intentionally want to serve Christ, continuing to grow in our uh, affection for him, the one who has given all for us, and then with eyes looking towards others as well. This is why we mention it every time we take up a benevolence offering after the Lord's Supper. As we're reminded of the gospel, the gospel has a relationship that's vertical, we are able to remember what it is Jesus has done for us. That automatically translates or ought to in us with eyes that then look horizontally towards others and desiring to meet their needs, to care for them, to say, I've been given this sympathy and comfort and help in Christ, and I want to turn and do the same for you. So may we have eyes similar as what Paul is commending Timothy on for the good of the church, for God's glory to continue to equip them for the ministry that God has called them to, and us fulfilling what God has called us to, continually being transformed in the gospel. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us as we speak of the gospel, as we remember and we read Isaiah 53. May our hearts never grow callous to being reminded of all that you have done on our behalf. May even this morning, Isaiah 53, the work of the gospel, mentioning that Jesus came for our sins, for our transgressions. He took all of that on himself. May that ignite in someone. I never heard that before. God, may you use uh, your word, any of them that were given, to continue to be uh, the ignition switch, the turning, the regeneration, opening someone's eyes to the beauty of the gospel. I never heard that. I want to know more. God, I feel that you are working in me to bring me to salvation. And for those of us who 
are a Christian, who have come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Father, would you continue to help us to not stay stagnant where we are, but daily, regularly, reminding ourselves of our need for you and to selflessly serve, as Jesus did for us, to selflessly serve others, that they would continue to grow in their need for you and in their need to selflessly serve others. Father, we ask that you would continue to give us grace. And would you be glorified to do this great work in us, selflessly serving one another as we have seen you do to us. We ask this as you continue to be with us as we sing. Uh, May it be for your honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.